Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. You remember last week, David, while hiding in the cave, cave there in En Gedi, hiding from Saul, King Saul looking and pursuing David, looking to kill him and his jealousy and his desire to stop David from advancing towards the throne. He went into the very cave that David and his men were hiding. He was in there to relieve himself, and David uh, encountered him, had opportunity to really take Saul out, but showed him mercy. And we saw in last week that David did not take matters into his own hands, but rather he trusted the Lord to deal with Saul and to also exalt him. And tonight we'll see David, another passage here of David, actually where he is tempted to take matters into his own hands and almost does, except for the intervention of a woman by the name of Abigail. Let's take a look in verse 1 of chapter 25. We have a a, a quick reference to Samuel, who who passes away during this season of David's uh, running and hiding from Saul. 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So just a quick side note by the writer of 1 Samuel, letting us know that as this history is continuing to move forward, the story advancing, years are going by as David is and his men are kind of making their way in this wilderness, hiding from Saul, Samuel, during this season, passes away and all of Israel mourns him. But David continues to look for places to, for him and his men, and he ends up in the wilderness of Paran. Now, verse 2, we pick up the advancing story. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of the wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. So we're introduced to two characters, a little bit of a detour here in the story. So much of what we've been reading is Saul trying to capture David and how God has continued to deliver David. But now, David, while out in the wilderness, we're introduced to this couple, Nabal or Nabal and Abigail. Now, the word, uh, actually Nabal, the the Hebrew word translates foolish. So think about that, uh, being named fool or foolish. Not a great name. I don't know if he earned that name and they they gave it to him as he was growing up or if his mother just thought that would be a good name, but uh, he's Nabal. But we find out that he's rich, he's very wealthy, but the scripture tells us that he's harsh and evil in his doings. But he's married to this beautiful woman named Abigail with good understanding. Now, it's not often that the Bible comments on a a woman's beauty, only a few times in the scripture. So clearly this was a woman of exceptional beauty. And you wonder, how is it that this beautiful woman of good understanding would end up with this man named Foolish who's harsh and evil in his doings? Well, remember, in this culture, of course, at this time, 
uh, most marriages were arranged. So no doubt uh, the parents of Abigail thought, you know, Nabal, he, he may be foolish, but he's also very rich and wealthy. And they made a decision based on material things to give their daughter away in marriage to Nabal. And, of course, she being very beautifully, Nabal, no doubt, received her with open arms, but it was more of a marriage based on material decisions, no no doubt, rather than a real spiritual decision. And, of course, this would end up to be something of a trial for Abigail. Uh, It says that he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, again, in that culture, the sheep were used primarily for their wool. And so this would be like the harvest season, a farmer planting crops. When the harvest comes in, that's a great time of prosperity and celebration. And so it was for for Nabal. He's now shearing all the wool from these 3,000 sheep that has been growing on the sheep has now been sheared. And he is really in a time of celebration and and prosperity. And pick it up now in verse 4. When David heard in the wilderness that uh, Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that You have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal, according to all these words in the name of David, and waited. So David takes this opportunity. He waits for Nabal to have his time of shearing the sheep. He says, we've come on feast days. This would have been a great celebration of a successful year of, you know, raising up this wool and shearing it from the sheep. And so now David sends ten of his young men to receive Something that Nabal would, in his own uh, heart, find to give generously to David and his men. They're out surviving in the wilderness. And it says that he comes in peace. David does not come threatening. David does not come demanding. But rather, he says, may we find favor in whatever that comes to your hand. In other words, whatever you feel compelled to offer to us, we would request that you would help us. Because he reminds Nabal of the cooperation and protection that his sheep and, and herdsmen enjoyed while David was in Carmel. And so this is not David looking for a handout, but ra- rather this would have been a very customary cooperation. David is providing assistance for this bountiful year in that his men are out kind of protecting Nabal's sheep and his herdsmen from any evil. And David points that out. We took nothing. We were there. We were in peace with you. It was a really a nice cooperation. And so in providing that assistance, he now looks for Nabal to share, to share and assist his men. And he comes at a time, at shearing time. This would have been the time when, when men settled their accounts. They wait for this harvest, this season, and now it's time to bless and share. Well, let's see how Nabal responds to David's humble request. Verse 10. 
Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his ma- each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Verse 12. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. So Nabal is certainly earning, living up to his name here, isn't he? David comes in a very customary and humble way. Peace to you. You know, we've protected and provided this assistance. We'd like to share just whatever your hand finds, whatever is on your heart to give. And Nabal says, who is David? He responds harshly. Now, of course, he knew who David was. David was one of the most famed names in Israel. Ever since he had killed Goliath, he was, he was well known, and, and beyond that, he had gained more fame. This is not him not knowing who David is. This is rather Nabal saying, I don't care who David is. Who is he to me? I'm not, I don't care who sent you. David is nothing to me. He shows this great disrespect for David in a personal way, and a, and a complete lack of appreciation for David's role and cooperation in the prosperity who cares what his men did to protect my sheep and herdsmen out there? I'm not, I don't know this guy anything. Uh, why should I take, you know, notice what he says, oh, shall I take then my bread, my water, my meat, me, me, mine? Why should I give anything that belongs to me and share it with David? And we see Nabal's heart, one of both greed and selfishness. You know, the Bible does speak to the... This whole attitude of of letting your possessions possess you, becoming so, so fixed. Now, this is a rich and wealthy man, and David is coming to him at a great time of prosperity and abundance. It's not that Nabal cannot afford to do this for David and his men. It is that he has nothing in his heart that desires to do so. It's all mine, my bread, my water, my meat. But he forgets, really, that all things ultimately come from the Lord. David himself would write this in Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. The Bible teaches concerning ownership that everything belongs to God. We are merely just passing through on God's earth. Of all of which he owns. You, you brought nothing in. You will take nothing with you. None of it belongs to you and I. It's all the Lord's. And David knows this. He writes it in the Psalms. In fact, you don't need to turn, but you may remember this story in First Chronicles. This would be David many years later. But David understood this principle that Nabal obviously doesn't. Uh, in First Chronicles, when David was collecting the offering to help build and prepare to build the temple, Solomon would be the one who would eventually build the temple. But David was diligent to prepare all of the resources for his son Solomon. And when they brought this great offering, and it was a, it was the whole nation brought this great wealth to 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 give to this work of God. It was David in First Chronicles, and as he prayed. 
uh, and he prayed, you know, thanking the Lord for the abundance of the offering. He said, but Lord, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. David says, you know, Lord, we're just giving back that which already belongs to you. He would go on to say there in First Chronicles, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and all is your own. You see, David had this understanding. This is not mine and I'm willing to give of what is mine to God so that he can have something. David understood, no, it's all God's. He's given it to me, and I merely now have the opportunity to give back to him that which has always been his. Stewardship is what David understood. Not ownership, but stewardship. Nabal completely misunderstands this, that, that his prosperity, his blessing, really was God's goodness and God's favor and God's blessing. Again, you don't need to turn, but let me read from you for you from the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, well, that was Nabal's trouble, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Everything comes from him. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Boy, too bad Paul wasn't around to instruct Nabal back in the day. This Nabal could have, could have learned something here. Don't, don't trust in your riches, but be rich in good works. Be willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Paul would tell Timothy to instruct those rich in this present age to be generous. You see, generosity is what God uses to free us from selfish greed, which is our tendency, right? Isn't it? I think it's the Lord of the Rings, right? Gollum, mine, precious, mine, right? That whole kind of greed and how that greed just consumes him. I, I know that's not a great imitation, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, that is bound up in all of us, selfishness. And God has prescribed generosity as the remedy. As we learn to give and be generous and share and bless, we learn that, you know what, there, it, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. God is able to replenish. God is able to continue to provide seed for the sowing. We don't have to hoard it. We don't have to store it all up. But rather, we can learn to invest it. Paul said that they might store up for themselves, that they may lay hold of eternal life. In other words, invest in eternal things. If God has entrusted you with resource, use it in a way where it will affect the kingdom of God. And in so doing, you're, storing, you're making an investment in eternity where God will reward richly. It says back in our text there, we see how David's young men responded. So David's young men, it says, turned on their heels and went back. You kind of get the image of that, right? Like, whoa, let's get out of here. After Nabal kind of, you know, dresses them down for even coming and representing David, these young men are out of there. They turned on their heels like, 
wait till David hears this, right? It reminds us of the, uh, the quote from The Godfather, right? Mr. Mr. Corleone is a man who insists on hearing bad news immediately. David needs to hear this guy's response immediately. Anybody seen The Godfather? That's just, okay, the guys, all the guys' hands go up. That's, that's kind of the spirit here. These young men, they hear that they can't believe that this, that, that fool is saying all of this against David when he has come so humbly to ask for, you know, to sh- a share in the harvest. So they go back and they, they tell David, and what does David say? Well, let's just pray for him. Poor, poor foolish, you know, he needs our prayer. Every man gird on his sword. 400 of David and his men coming armed to the teeth, ready to deal on this guy. Mount up, boys. We'll go show this naval. Who does he think he is? He wants to know who David is. I'm going to go introduce myself. He's going to find out right now. David is now looking to avenge. Now, this is completely different than the way David responded in the cave when he had opportunity to avenge himself on Saul, isn't it? We see David caught up in a moment. Something of, of his own anger rises up, and he now is looking to take matters into his own hands. Let's remember what James 1.19 says. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I mean, this is David in a hot moment. But the scripture says, hey, we need to be slow to wrath. There are times, the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. There are times to be angry, but not the wrath of man. Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is not David at his best. This is not David responding properly to this insult from Nabal. Jesus would tell us to turn the other cheek. And in the context, he's really talking about insults, not physical attack, but insult. When you're insulted, turn the other cheek. Don't respond in like kind. In, in uh, the, uh, uh, 2 Peter, he says, don't return evil for evil or revi- reviling for reviling. Don't respond in the same way that you have been treated. Break it right there. Stop it. David is looking to respond almost as foolishly as Nabal Foolish has responded to him. Let's pick it up in verse 14 and see how God intervenes. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, speaking of David's men. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. They protected our flocks when we were, when we were in the fields. Verse 16. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Well, she had a lot just in her pantry, didn't she? 
This was a wealthy man. The point is, he had resources. It's not like he couldn't share. He just didn't want to. Verse 19, And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And so it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. Verse 22, May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belongs to him by morning light. Wow, this is an encounter. David is hot. And he, is, he has got murder on his heart. He is ready to wipe Nabal and all his crew out. And David, with 400 of his armed men, believe me, they were capable of doing it. David was a mighty warrior, and so were his mighty men. And he comes on this sheep farmer, and he's ready to do business. But we see a Abigail. She hears of this. And the servants, you know, they go to her and they know their master's a scoundrel. They, we can't talk to the, to the guy. We've got to talk to his wife. She's the only sensible one in the home. And so they go to the wife and she wisely, you know, responds. Quickly, she gathers up these supplies before her and she sends them out ahead of her. You know, there's wisdom there. Instead of just going down there herself, David is hot. He's looking for a confrontation Instead of sending Nabal's wife out ahead, she sends resources. So the first thing David sees coming down towards him are these donkeys saddled up with provision and blessing and, and, and the fruit and so forth that she's gathered before him. And David, who is ready to, you know, like I said, has murder in his heart, we find, you know, even what he's, what he's already said before he got there. And this is, this is really David again, not in a good moment. Now, you know, David had his facts right. The truth is, Nabal had treated him badly. David had been good to this man. David and his men had been fair and generous with these guys. And Nabal is now responding foolishly. He's, re he's right when he says they are returning evil for good. This is unjust treatment I'm receiving from this guy. Now, we can all relate to that. Have you ever received evil for good? You know, that's the, har that's the hardest thing to bear sometimes, isn't it? When you, in effort to do good, when you, in effort to minister something positive, people return evil to you. And, and, this is where, and this is what's got David riled up. But he crosses a line here. And you see it there in verse 22. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. David's calling down a curse. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I do not slaughter this guy. And this is... This is, the, this is the place where we have to really wrestle our anger under David. David is actually believing that somehow God must be on my side. This is so unfair. This is so unjust. I can do this and avenge not only myself, but this is, I'm actually doing God's. Well, may God do so if I don't slaughter this guy out. 
Of course, God doesn't give us that kind of license. God does not empower us with that kind of avenging of ourselves and seeking revenge. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now there would be times when God would use David as an, an agent of vengeance. But it was not for David to determine when he could become the sword of God in vengeance. That's God's business alone. I have to be very careful sometimes when we find an injustice, we imagine that we can now execute God's vengeance. Surely he's on my side. Because after all, this is unjust. But the scripture says, no, don't avenge yourself. You let the Lord take care of that business. You trust him. And the scripture there in Romans would say, and rather than do it, re- returning evil, you overcome evil with good. Just keep doing good. Keep overcoming that evil by doing good. And that's the, the, the character and the nature of Christ. The truth is, David is getting ready to sin greatly. This would have become a slaughter, and this would have been on David. This blood, innocent blood, not Nabal so much, but his men, those that he would slaughter, those would have been on David's hand. God's trying to prepare him to be king, and he's getting ready to, to excuse me, lash out in a moment of anger and vengeance. Abigail is looking to intercede. She sent out these supplies, and now she herself is going to intercede and appeal to David. Look with me, verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. And so she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as he, his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I, I didn't know you needed these supplies. Verse 26. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now turn, excuse me, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel 
that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Abigail intercedes. And she brings the voice of reason. She really brings the voice of God into this situation. Emotions have heated up. Nabal has foolishly responded to David. David really is now in anger and selfish wrath looking to avenge and take Nabal out. And Abigail comes in with this appeal. And we see a number of things that she speaks into David's heart during this passage. First of all, she comes humbly. She does not come to David and say, hey, I'm Nabal's wife. Who do you think you are sending all these men down here to take him out? Who get, what gives you the right to come and do She doesn't come that way. She comes very humbly. And she says, listen, I'm asking you to forgive my husband. Put, put this trespass on me. Allow me to take responsibility for my household. My husband, he's, he's not wise. I didn't hear. I didn't know. I might have been able to, to arrange this for you. Let it be on me that I let it get to this level. She doesn't come to defend or to debate. She comes in a humble way and seeking forgiveness. The second thing we notice is, is that she, she really calls out the Lord's purpose and will over David's life. She says, the Lord has held you back from bloodshed and avenging yourself. David, it's not too late. You're on your way, but with me coming to intercede because the Lord allowed me to hear what was going on, I'm here now and the Lord is looking to hold you back from this trespass. Don't push through this appeal. Don't push through this moment. It's not too late. It reminds us of The passage in the New Testament that says, with temptation will also come what? A way of escape. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. This is David's way of escape. Abigail is coming and interceding to him. And she says, thirdly and very beautifully, look, David, the Lord is your defense. You do not need to avenge yourself over this man and his foolishness. This is not worth you compromising your calling, your, your, your future, what God has promised you. You don't want this on your hands. You don't want this on your conscience. God has been good to you. God has made promise over your life. God has treated you favorably. And I, really, I, I feel this is the heart of the passage. This is the true voice of wisdom coming through this woman as if to shake David in his moment of rage. Hasn't God been good to you? Don't you know that God is the one fighting your battles? God is the one who is watching over your future. You don't need to take this into your own hand, David. Verse 28, she said, For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. David, you are the Lord's man. God is with you. God has given you purpose. God has your future as long as you continue to serve Him with integrity. She appeals to His calling. She appeals to that that blessing of God that David knows in his heart is from the Lord. Verse 29, she says, Yet a man has risen to pursue you. She knows of Saul. 
and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. This ver- I love this verse. This verse is to me is so profound. She knows that Saul, everyone in Israel knows that Saul is trying to kill him. But she, she reminds David of the promises of God. And she said, listen, your life shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. What can man do to you, David? Yes, we know Saul wants to kill you. Yes, I know my husband's offended you. But God has you bundled in his arms. You shall be bound in the bundle of the living. That is such a profound promise in the heart of all that know God. Even in, even in those moments of despair and discouragement, frustration, remind our hearts, Lord, that we are bound in the bundle of the living. God has given us eternal life. God has made promise over us. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? Abigail is speaking this truth into David's heart. David, this is not your story. This response, what Saul has been trying to do, your life is in the hand of God. He has you. He has your future. Notice she says, your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Can you remember when David's enemies were defeated by something from the pocket of a sling? Remember Goliath? I wonder if she wisely reminds David, David, even a Goliath cannot stop you. When you're walking with the Lord, just as as God gave you the grace, the victory over a Goliath, He's still with you. The same God that has brought you through is still with you. Saul is no stronger or greater than Goliath, not against God. Nabal and his foolish response, this is not to be considered compared to the promises of God. And I think there's great wisdom there for us. You know, when you're, when you're offended and, and when people have treated you wrongly, that we might be reminded, but my life is in the hand of God. My future is in His hand. What can man do to me? God is the author of my life. God is the one who has made promise over my life. God is the one who saw me and formed me even in my mother's womb. God is the one who has made uh, good, prepared good works for me to walk in even before He fashioned the earth. I am in the eternal plan of God. My eyes, my focus, my trust are in Him. I don't need to be you know, trying to defend and solve and justify and, and, and fix it all and everyone that comes against me. I've got to trust the Lord. David, <laughs> you know, you just hear the voice of God. Coming through Abigail, I I feel like the voice of God in my own heart spoke to me when the Lord, you know, when she said, Your life shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. Hear that tonight. That's the word of God to your heart tonight. Your life is in the Lord's hands. And no one can take you out of his hand. No one can take what God has promised away from you. No one can stop the good purpose that God has intended for your life. 
Yes, there will be some that seek your life. Yes, there will be some that treat you unjustly. But God has you bundled with the living. Let's read on verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Well, he knows he's heard from the Lord who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. I do love this about David. You know, David, even in his worst moments, he still had a heart that was always reachable, always tender to the to the voice of the Lord, when God finally would send that messenger, send that Abigail, send that Nathan, send that word, send that, that reminder, David's heart was always quick to repent. David could have pushed right past this woman. I'm sorry, I'm too upset. He's offended me. I'm going to get my vengeance. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that he sent you here to speak to me so profoundly that he gave you that word that has touched my heart. He has spoken to me through your intercession here today. I love this about David. I pray that we would all have hearts like David, heart, a heart after God's own heart, that, God, that we would never be unreachable by the Lord, that even in our worst moment, the Holy Spirit would still be able to tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, hey, what are you doing? Stop. That, that voice of the Lord would, would give us a heart that would respond. How do, we, how do we respond when the Lord speaks to us? Are we correctable? Can the Lord use the voice of others as he did as Ab- in Abigail to minister to us? This is commendable to David. Even though he's in a bad moment, his heart is reachable by the Lord. Finish out with me here. We'll see how the story ends. Verse 36. Now, Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. And so it was in the morning, when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. And then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So she comes home and old Nabal, foolish, is treating himself like a king. He has no clue that his life was just about snuffed out by David, that he was about to lose everything. He's drunk celebrating his own happiness. And his wife comes home. She doesn't speak to him in that state, but rather in the morning she lets him know. And when he finds out that he was nearly slaughtered, it seems like he had a massive, it says his heart died. He had a massive heart attack and it left him kind of, you know, unable to do anything for about 10 days. And then the Lord just finished him off. 
Interesting how this justice would be meted out by the hand of God. Nabal had everything. In the natural, he had it all. He had this beautiful, wise wife. He had these riches and all that his heart could desire. He had flocks and men and servants. But he was bankrupt in character and in spirit. Jesus would tell this parable in Luke 12 about the rich man who who laid up treasure for himself. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds just like Nabal, doesn't it? Oh, we had such a good year. And I didn't have to give one cent to David. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus would warn in his teaching of this kind of foolish heart, the heart of Nabal, who apparently had it all, but he lost it all in one night. All of it was taken. Verse 39, so when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. She gets up and, and, and serves these men that have, David has sent to propose. Verse 42, So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And then we get a little footnote here. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter's, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. So the story ends with David proposing and Abigail accepting. It says she rode in haste. Boy, she was so happy to be done with Nabal and to move on with a man like David. She didn't waste any time. She was on that donkey as fast as you can, you know, start your Honda, right? <laughs> David marries her. Scripture lets us know that, that Michal, David's first wife, had been given by Saul to another man. So he was actually not married at the time. He proposed and took um, Abigail because Saul, in an effort to spite David, had given his wife to someone else. But we also see David taking a second wife here, and this begins a practice that would become a snare, not only to David, but especially to his son Solomon, this acquiring multiple wives, not something that God specifically forbid in this time, but definitely against God's ideal plan and purpose. So it would become later a snare as this taking many wives by the kings would become the practice. But we do see 
the Lord interceding in David's life, sending this Abigail to stop him from crossing over a line in his anger and in his wrath and speaking such a beautiful word of reminder, David. You don't need to engage in this. Your life will be bundled with the living. You belong to God. He has your future. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this passage and the, just the, really the beautiful story that we find. A little bit of a detour from David and fleeing and hiding from Saul. We, we find this story where you intercede in David's life. And Lord, I'm wondering tonight how many times you've interceded in my own life. For all of us here tonight, Lord, how many times have you held us back from making a a sinful mistake? How many times, God, have you sent that way of escape, that messenger from heaven, that word in season, that, that check of conscience, that ministry of your spirit to protect us, to watch over us, to keep us? Lord, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that we would learn to respond to those promptings from the Lord, that we would not push through those checks of conscience, that we would not, Lord, learn to to sear our hearts against those promptings and warnings from heaven. But also tonight, God, I pray that we would be reminded that regardless of the injustice, and there there will certainly be, injustices that will come to our lives, that ultimately, God, you are the keeper of my life. You are the one who watches over my soul. You are the one who will ultimately gather me with the living. And my life is secure in you, not only in this life, but for all eternity. I am yours and you are mine. And God, as as you refresh David's heart, I pray that you would refresh our hearts tonight with that promise. There may be some here tonight, Lord, wondering how to respond, how to deal with the trial, with the tragedy, with with the circumstance. Speak into that heart tonight. Don't don't be afraid. Your life is in the bundle of the living, and you will see God. He has you. He's holding you. He's with you. And as our heads are bowed here tonight and we just finish out in prayer and a song of worship, I I do want to give an opportunity if you're here tonight and you need to respond to the word of the Lord. It may be that you are here tonight and you do not know the Lord in a personal way. You've never really come into faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that He loves you and wants to bring you, bundle you up with the living, rescue you from your sin and cleanse you and give you eternal life. I'd love to pray for you if your heart is ready to receive that gift tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe, you, maybe you've taken matters into your own hands. Maybe you're in a situation, a circumstance where you need the Lord to just Refresh your heart and you need to come back to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I need to come back to you and trust you. I'm doing this in my own strength. I'm doing it my own way. And Lord, I need to come back and allow you to fulfill your promise over my life. I'd love to pray for you too. 
So if you're here tonight, you want to receive the Lord for the very first time or you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord, I would ask you just to raise your hand. Let me see you here tonight and I'll pray for you. God bless you, sir, there in the middle section. Anyone else over here on my right, far left? I see you, ma'am, there in the back as well. Anybody else? We have three responding. Any others? You need this prayer tonight. You need the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. Just before I pray, anyone else? Lord, speaking to you. So, Father, for these hearts responding to your word tonight, I pray that you would meet them. I pray, God, that their hearts would just come honestly and sincerely before you and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. My, my trust is in you. I cannot avenge myself. I cannot save myself. I cannot atone for my sins. I need you, my Savior. Gather me up tonight, Lord. Gather me up in the bundle of the living. Meet us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.